set off a million smoke canisters to obscure it. It's like being at that rock and roll concert where all the fog is swirling and you can't even see the people with the big hair and the guitars anymore. That's what it's like. I decided for my next Audible show, even though it would be a bit after the highlights of this talk in the American press, that I wanted to talk today about the kind of sex I've had that got me pregnant when I didn't want to get pregnant and why I'm still having sex today. Yes, I am going to bring the discussion of sex back into the whole business of abortion because really that's that's what's at the heart of it. People think abortion is about babies and I'm like, mm-mm. Sorry, eh, wrong answer. <laughs> it's about sex. Well, a good example of the kind of objective media that was going on uh, during the Roe versus Wade anniversary was a, a front page article I read yesterday in the San Jose Mercury News. They did a special feature where they interviewed three different women, two of whom had illegal abortions back in the bad old days and one of whom had an abortion uh, more recently. And the idea of the article was that abortion was the most intense thing that any of these women ever went through, that it was the most influential event of their lives, and reshaped them forever. Now, the San Jose Mercury did not come up with this as some, like, bizarre new angle that only the Mercury could conceive of. This is very big. I've seen a million features like this. And it really gets on my nerves. You know, I intend to prove abortion is not necessarily the most meaningful thing that happens in a woman's life. But let, let me give you a little bit about the case histories they presented. Okay, the first woman had had, like, really horrific coat hanger abortion back in the day. And now, in her current life, she's married, kids, and she is devoted, according to her husband, to helping others. This woman's compassion is absolutely directed by her abortion experience. Now, woman number two is a feminist diehard. Uh, she had an illegal abortion while she was married. In fact, she was going into med school. And in her case, her activism is credited to her abortion experience. Finally, we have gal number three, who had an abortion just a few years ago, regrets it dearly. She joined a post-abortion Bible study group. That's how she puts it. And has vowed to remain celibate until she meets Mr. Wright for her redemption. Both her shame and her born-again revival spirit are chalked up to her abortion. And you know what? I don't buy any of it. I think that these people are in the places they are today for other reasons than the fact of an unwanted pregnancy and abortion. You can read between the lines. The woman who loves to help others. You know, I know a lot of women who love to help others who've never had an abortion. I bet this woman was very compassionate and had a real feeling for like wanting to save, rescue, nurture. The abortion experience then becomes seen through this prism of her whole character personality experience. Same with the activist. It's interesting to note that not only did she was she having an abortion, she was going to med school at a time when not many women went to med school. This was a woman who was like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I am going to be confident. I'm going to get out there. I'm not going to be, you know, held back. And then finally, this one is really the saddest one. I mean, a post-abortion Bible study group. Holy crap. I mean, she is really messed up about this man who, who knocked her up in the past and then left her. I mean, she thought he was going to be it. And since then, she's been alone, and she is blaming herself about 
now I'm old, I'm never going to find a man, I'm never going to recapture my virginity, if only I could be a born-again virgin. You know, I can't read you the whole article, but you'll just have to trust me that reading between the lines, I felt her loneliness and her sense of nobody wanting me and having to prove that she was a good girl and having to prove it over and over and over again. Well, for me, I've had three pregnancies, one daughter, two abortions, and except when I'm confronted with this insipid media debate, I never think about it. My daughter doesn't say, like, I just heard this from one of the religious right people who was putting forward why abortion is so bad. They were saying, of course children hate it. Children hate it because they want the little brother and sister that was killed. Ah! Oh, I can't take it. You know, my daughter has never said, oh, if only you'd stay pregnant so I could have two adorable little siblings. I myself was an activist, a compassionate do-gooder, and an exhibitionist before I ever even had sex, let alone before I got knocked up. My abortions don't define me. My overall sexual history is interesting, and that actually, you could tell a lot more about me if, you, if you'd like to find out, and indeed you will. Now, am I being callous? I'm not. I am sort of sensitive to a fault. I want to talk about my abortions today because I want to bring at least one voice of reality to this discussion. I, I know I'm not alone. I know a lot of you who are listening similarly feel alienated by both sides of this debate, even if you agree with one or the other. My first pregnancy was weird, okay, just plain weird and extremely embarrassing for me. I was 29, okay. I started having sex when just before my 16th birthday, so I'd had a lot of sex <laughs> before I was 29, but I didn't get pregnant until then. And when I was 29, I was the editor of an extremely successful lesbian sex magazine. <laughs> Okay, starting to get the idea about why this is so weird. And for most of my 20s, I'd only had sex with women. I mean, I was bi this whole time, but it was sort of more like in theory than in practice. If I had sex with men, it tended to be at like some big kinky play party where semen in my vagina just wasn't even an issue. It just, it never even came up. I led safe sex workshops for young and old. I demonstrated how to use dental dams for licking pussy, rubber gloves for fisting. But me, Susie, had never used a condom on a real penis in my entire life. When I was seeing men more frequently, it was in the days when everyone was on the pill using diaphragms, IUDs. It was pre-AIDS. That's when I was first sexually active. So uh, condoms were like, oh, what did you use in the war, Daddy? I mean... <laughs> just seemed like an antique. So here I am. It's the 80s, and I go off on my very first date with an old-fashioned guy. I was in a poly relationship of seven years with my girlfriend. Why he went out with me, I'll never understand. I mean, must have just been morbid curiosity. But he was a total goof with a condom. He didn't act at all like the gay porn stars I knew who could do tricks with the rubbers. He, he, he didn't know what he was doing. And I was just sort of in a daze to be having penis-vagina sex at all. I remember thinking, wow, it's such a trip that straight people have to think about babies when they have sex. What a concept. Sex, babies, baby sex. Okay, the rubber broke when he came. Well, much later I found out it's this guy's M.O. He should give seminars on how to break a condom. 
this is another thing that anti-abortion people do. They're so anti-birth control. I mean, the anti-abortion thing is just a cover for being anti-contraception. They hate condoms. They're always like, they break, they break. And I'm like, you've got to find this guy that knocked me up because he's your poster boy. He's the only one I've ever been with who broke a condom. Since then, I've had many condoms, many, many. And, you know, I think they work great. But he, he's, he's their poster boy for the broken condom. Well, at the time, I just I had what I call lavender denial. I can't get pregnant because I am a lesbian. <laughs> well, I felt pregnant right away, very next day. And I had to deal with my intense shame of my screw-up, his screw-up. I, I was appalled. I mean, at that point, I was being called Susie Sexpert in the press. Oh, Susie Sexpert, I got accidentally pregnant. Uh, I don't know how to use a condom. It was disgusting. It was pathetic. My friends, my lover were somewhat sympathetic, but everyone was scratching their heads. I'm scratching my head. The guy in question went into hiding, <laughs> and I didn't even understand why he was so scared or, or how he was so scared. I planned an abortion right away. There, was, uh, there wasn't even one second where I debated it. And I also bought a big teddy bear to comfort me. I called it Borsha Bear. <laughs> and I just felt so dumb. And I felt like such a bad dyke. I went to what the religious right calls an abortion mill, which, is, which means a professional place where people perform abortions and help people with contraception. And that's what they do. They don't treat you if you have a cold. They're a specialist clinic. Everyone there was really nice. There wasn't any overwhelming drama. I do remember at one point they had me in a lab room. for I was doing some kind of urine sample. And I noticed next to the telephone in the lab, there was like this call list in case they were attacked, you know, in case of a, a bomb scare. And I was like, my God. These people should all be given medals. Nobody works in these places to make money. You really have to be committed. They're so extraordinary. Most people in the medical field won't even study this subject or learn how to perform surgical abortions because it's like, well, I'm not going to, you know, get assassinated and, you know, for doing this thing that doesn't even pay very well. I mean, it's, it's rough. So at that point, when I saw that little phone list, you know, call here for bomb scare, I thought, whoa, this is something that can blow up at any any moment. Well, I got a little, what do they call it, the IV Valium. So, you know, I fell asleep during part of the procedure. And when I woke up, I was in a room with a few other women resting. I even recognized one. And I felt instantly better. I felt like my old self. You know, the morning sickness and the strange, like, there's an alien inside me. It was gone. I go home that night. I was in the bathroom, and I had an epiphany. It's my first epiphany in a bathroom. I I was, of course, delighted to have my body back, to not be pregnant, and yet something else really joyful just bubbled up inside me. It, it sounds so silly, but I went, what? I, I can get pregnant if I want to. And I felt like a real woman all of a sudden. You know what it was? You know how they tell young girls when your period comes, you're going to feel like a real woman? When my period came, I went, oh, no, my underwear is ruined. I had no special feeling of femininity, fertility, or womanliness. Interestingly enough, this pregnancy and abortion is what brought me that. I got very excited, 
And right there, and then, I had my very first fantasy about having a child. A year later, I was pregnant, on purpose, with Aretha, absolutely delighted every step of the way. Now, my second abortion was much more conventional. However, once again, it was so not a big deal that I can't even tell you what year it was or how old Aretha was. She was a toddler. I was using regular birth control at that point because I had a steady male partner, and nevertheless, there was an accident. People who have been at all sexually active know that this is the real world of birth control, that it is not always reliable, but it is most of the time. After all, I've had a lot more intercourse than I have had pregnancies, to put it mildly. And I, I knew by then, this was sort of the abortion that came from a sense of experience and wisdom. I knew by then I'd had a difficult birthing experience with Aretha and some pretty unnerving health problems afterwards. And I knew I did not want to carry another child. I was, in fact, I still am up for raising more kids, but I don't want to be the vessel. My partner knew that. He felt very protective of me. He was just starting to think about his future, about having more children, but he didn't want more kids than either. We would have been completely overwhelmed. We were the sort of couple that was coming from the place of, yes, it's the best thing we ever did, becoming parents, but wow, what a job. I mean, we were, it can kill you. We felt hopeful about the future of having a family that included more children, not necessarily our own blood. Now, after that event, I added fertility awareness, that is, the old-fashioned rhythm method, to my contraception package. I, I just don't fuck anymore when I'm ovulating. In fact, so often I'm interviewed by people, Susie, you know, you're, you're so, such a sex goddess, but is there anything you won't do in bed? Yes, there is one thing I won't do in bed. I will not entertain sperm when I'm fertile. That is out. I want to have sex, and I want to be close to my lover without making babies. I want the same thing for my daughter. In fact, if women could just right off the bat, as soon as they started menstruating, if you could go someplace and put your eggs away for the perfect rainy day, I would think that would be wonderful. If society gave a crap about women's sexuality, this would be happening already. I am exasperated with the euphemism of choice and pro-choice. It's, again, avoiding any of the sex words. I, I'm not afraid to say those. I am pro-contraception. I am pro-planning your family. I am pro-sex. And you know what? I'm pro-triage. I believe you have to make tough calls about who's going to survive and live. In the case of abortion, you make the best decision you can based on what you know about your body, your future, your family, the potential child's future. Oh, you know, the, the way the anti-abortion people talk about fetuses is just so hard for me to take. When you abort a fetus, you're not hurting its feelings, duh. But when people have children they can't support, who they resent, who they neglect, then they're not only hurting real children's feelings, it, it